0: And welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionHydration.com. Personalize your hydration strategy today at PrecisionHydration.com with electrolytes in different strengths to match how you sweat. You can get a free trial pack worth $9.99 using the code OxygenAddict. And we're also brought to you by Thriver.co. Track your health with a personalized at-home finger prick blood test. You can use the code OxygenAddict50 for 50% off your first test. And we're going to be hearing more today about how the Thriver test can be really used in the real world. Now, today, I've got a special edition for you. First up, I'm going to kick off by saying Happy New Year, everybody. I decided to record this one a couple of days before New Year and release it really early in the morning because hopefully you guys have seen this pop up in your feed and you're out cycling or running or on your way for a swim first thing on New Year's Day. So it's a great way to to kick off the new year and I hope it's a fantastic one for you. I hope you've got your goals and your events lined up and I hope you're excited about making a training plan and excited for all the the fresh new starts that the new year brings for you. I know that I am, I tell you. So the idea of today's podcast, it's a special edition. It is with a doctor called Dr. Anton Krieger. And we wanted to focus on the simple topic of improving performance and health. So this is everything from looking at all the ways that, well, Dr. Anton calls these your five pillars or the five performance killers. You're going to hear him talk about this in a bit. He talks about your hormones, your gut microbiome, your blood sugar control, your circadian rhythms, so your hormones being influenced by sleep, and the delivery of oxygen. So these five things are going to massively, massively influence not just how you train and how you perform in your sporting endeavors, but also in how you feel and how your body feels in everyday life. And A lot of you will know as long-time listeners, I've had a pretty challenging year. 2019 has been been difficult for me on a health front um, for a number of reasons that we'll go into during the podcast, but it's been really interesting for me to go from this journey of being someone who was relatively fit and fast relative to my peers and very, very healthy relative to my peers to frankly feeling pretty rubbish a lot of the time and you'll have heard me talk about having done some thriver blood tests and for me they came along at a really amazing time because if i hadn't done those blood tests i would still to this day not really have any idea about what had been going on with my with my blood biochemistry and with what was going on in my body in general but having had access to those simple sort of do at home blood tests that are relatively inexpensive certainly a lot less time consuming than going to the doctors and having a big vial of blood drawn and um, it really let me get to the bottom of firstly what was going on in my biochemistry and then the second piece of the puzzle luckily for me dr anton kriha was or is a listener of the podcast and he contacted me and said, "Look." help us have a chat with me over Skype. Let me have a look at your blood tests and I'll give you some feedback as to what's going on. And as you'll hear in today's episode, he very much looks at the underlying causes of why you may have health issues rather than, you know, for me, I was going, well, you know, this hormone level's low or this vitamin level's low, so that's the problem. What he allowed me to see was there are a lot of these fundamentals that go into making up exactly what's going on in your body that's much more complex than simply eating the right amount um, and things like that. So I really hope that you're going to find this as interesting as I did. I invited him onto the show after he'd done this consultation with me because I learned so much in a 30-minute chat with him. I said, look, we can make an hour-long special on this. I think people will, you know, learn loads from, much, much more so than they'll learn from reading the book or, you know, the accumulated wisdom, what they might pick up in magazines along the way. So it was fascinating for me. And he goes into an absolute ton of detail. And honestly, my original plan was to do one about how athletes' bodies change as they age and sort of mid-40s onwards, what changes are we are going to be expecting to be seen. But as you'll hear... It goes it goes much more beyond this. It goes into sort of the fundamentals of how everybody at any age can sort of look after the body and get more out of the life in general. And Before we kick this off, Dr. Anton contacted me after we uh, recorded the show and he said, look, do me a favor, just read out this quick disclaimer because obviously, um, working as a medical doctor, there are certain guidelines he's got to adhere to. So we'll read this out first. Dr. Creer has stated that nothing said in the podcast should be construed as personal medical advice and is just for general information. Always obtain professional medical advice before implementing any changes based on test results and obtain professional interpretation of the results. So there you go. That's the official medical disclaimer there. What I will say is, Um, Anton uses the Thriver blood tests within his own practice, which was really interesting for me to hear. He he thinks it's like fantastic cost-effective solution for blood testing. Um, So if you're an athlete and you're interested in getting your iron levels, your testosterone levels, your liver function, vitamin B12, vitamin D... Or if you're generally interested in your health, things like thyroid function, diabetes, cholesterol, omega-3 and omega-6, you can get all of those in a personalized Thriver blood test. You can choose the ones that you want. Obviously, the more tests you choose, the more expensive it is. The less tests you choose, the cheaper it is. But for me, just doing that base test was a massive eye-opener in terms of, I thought I was healthy and it turns out that that wasn't the case at all so if you decide you want to have one of these done after listening to the show you can go to thriver.co use the code oxygen 50 and that you get your 50% off your first test no matter how expensive it should have been so uh, with all that said and done I'm going to hand us over to our interview of the week with dr anton creer Anton, thanks very much for joining us on the show. Um, It's it's going to be very interesting, I think, for the listeners to get um, a bit of a handle on the kind of stuff that you and I have been talking about behind the scenes. Um, Obviously, let's kick off by talking about you and your background in medicine and your background as an endurance athlete as well. Because one of the big challenges for me was going to see a GP who didn't look like he or she had ever done very much exercise at all and, and i'm aware that i'm or we as listeners are total outliers in society to the the amount of exercise and the amount of training we want to do so mm-hmm. it's good to talk to a doctor who who understands the uh the endurance mindset as well so tell us a bit about your background
1: to kick it off okay well first rob thanks for inviting me on the podcast and uh Give me an opportunity to share some of my insights I've gained. Um, Yeah, firstly, I'm I'm also one of those madmen. I've been doing endurance for probably about 30 years. Um, I'm 50 next year, and I did my first marathon in 1989 um, to date me a little bit. Uh, First triathlon in 1993, so that was when I was in med school. Um, Grew up in South Africa. Went to, did my medical school training in South Africa, and uh, it's an endurance mad country. So, uh, where people do the London Marathon over here, they do the Comrades Marathon over there, which is a double. Um, so, did a bunch of marathons in my early 20s, a few ultra marathons, got into triathlon, um, qualified med school in 1994, so that makes me 25 years a medic Yeah. Um, now, and... Uh, Then came over to UK in 96. So I've been here almost a quarter of a century. Uh, Did a couple of Ironmans in the late 90s, 2000. Um, Again, to date me, one of the ones I did was rote, but back then it was Ironman Germany.
0: Oh, wow. So um, before it, was what before it was a big change, eh? Hey? <laughs> yes, I
1: did Switzerland, Germany, and so on. Um, the Longest Day, which used to be the only Ironman in England back in those days. Um,
0: yeah, I, I think did, you, you and me might be the only two people who remember that.
1: <laughs> yeah, back in the black country. And, uh, and then I did, I did the, the inaugural uh, UK 70.3 when it was still called Half Ironman. So it was Half Ironman UK and was a Clamberis. That's right. Finish the Carnarvon Castle, Um, and then went um, did I to long distance worlds. Qualified off that for the South African edge group team, and that's that's really the last time I I really delved into long distance tries, Um, and made following really in the last bunch of years I made things more sort of longevity and uh, time efficiency focused. So I, I I really now mostly alternate between obstacle course races and sprint distance tries for the last five or six years. And uh, I think just with the aging body, I think there's personally sort of more benefit out of the power and speed strength side of things and a little bit of the agility and lateral movement thrown in with the obstacles racing, and it's a lot of fun. So So that's sort of my… My kind of endurance sport side of things, yeah. So you definitely um, kind of done the full spectrum. Yeah, you
0: understand. You understand the madness because you've you've got the madness.
1: <laughs> that's it. That's it. And I'm having said that, I'm making a little long distance comeback next year. Um, oh, because really? I'm, because I'm turning fifty. I've uh, I've entered one of the one of the races I've always wanted to do. Um, so I'm doing Alpe d'Huez next year. Oh,
0: fantastic! Uh, next
1: July. So I'm just starting a little gradual build towards that. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to the climbs. Um, and then from the from the medical side of things, I've uh, I ended up specialising in the UK in anaesthesia and intensive care medicine. Okay. And perioptic medicine. So I ended up completing specialisation and uh, becoming an NHS consultant in in the intensive care unit, anaesthesia. F- um, just over 15 years worth of that now as a consultant. So that's what I spend the majority of my week doing. Um, I've also been heavily involved in research in the NHS for the last over ten years, and a lot of a lot of quality improvement work. Um, but then, like a lot of consultants do, do a day of their work, working week in the private sector um, within their their uh, specialty. I've instead more recently moved over to using that time to work with. Um, Patients who've got chronic illnesses that they're struggling to resolve, and trying to work out what the root causes of causing it all, rather than just treating the symptoms and try try to repair it from from the root cause upwards, and and the same sort of principles apply to athletes. Um, you know, athletes don't tend to be at the extreme end where they have an actual autoimmune disease or a neurodegenerative disease. They'll have a lot of the same underlying root cause issues that may be holding back their performance or giving them various symptoms, which they've put down to middle age and aging. Um, but it's probably not. It's probably something that that can be resolved. Um, and then at the same time, it's really about being able to perform at a high level, but still maintain health at the same time. Um because we know the two are not necessarily the same thing. You can have, be an extremely elite athlete and be very metabolically broken on the inside. And eventually that catches up. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's sort of where I'm coming from. And that's really how we ended up
0: talking, isn't it? You, you were listening to the podcast and you contacted me when I was talking about the various challenges I was having. And, and that was exactly where I was. I was thinking, I'm in my, my mid-40s, headed into my late mid-40s. I'm struggling with feeling exhausted a lot. I can't train like I used to. And part of my brain was thinking, well... It's not just part of my brain, but you <laughs> have a conversation with my parents and yeah. they say, you just get an old son. That's just what happens <laughs> when you get yeah. into middle age. Yeah. You won't be able to feel the same. And I started thinking, well, yeah, maybe, this, maybe there's something to this. But having talked with you, first, they haven't had all these blood tests done with Thriver and seen that there were things that were way out of whack in there, and I'm thinking, right, I need to get this stuff sorted out, but I just don't know how. I think it resonated with a lot of our listeners that when you've been – Fits and relatively healthy, or felt relatively healthy, your whole life. When you suddenly don't feel healthy, you've got nowhere to turn, and you don't really know where to get answers from. So, having the opportunity to talk to you and having the medical professional look over the results and saying, "Well, you know, yes, this is what this means, and this is how we fix it," gave me a real sort of uh, like, "There's hope." You know, I'm not. This isn't the yeah. the, the long road to decline to death and, and beyond. <laughs> So one of the things that we got from the chat that you and you and I have had before, you, you talked a lot and I was very interested in this. You mentioned just before you're looking for the root cause of problems rather than treating the symptoms of the problems, which is great and it totally lines up with my mindset you talked a lot about what you called it was either your five pillars of health or the five performance killers and how that ties into health and performance issues for athletes especially as we age do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and i think people will find that really interesting
1: yeah one one um so i'll credit some of the idea of putting this framework together from uh, a similar group of of uh, healthcare practitioners in the states who um from Nourish Balance Thrive and a and a, and a and a like-minded doctor over in the US who's actually trained in the UK, Dr. Tommy Wood. Um and really when they when they looked at thousands of athletes who that helped out with the 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 typical sort of symptoms of not being able to access their top end of intensity when they're training, not feeling like sleep is restoring them, you know, waking up still feeling tired. Struggling sometimes with gas and bloating, with digestion problems, putting on weight—all all all those sort of things that will resonate with a lot of listeners, Mm -hmm. and and possibly some of those with yourself. Um, And and then really looking at what that what had been uncovered as sort of the top five common themes that that really are are affecting endurance athletes, and a lot of this will be synonymous with the general population as well. and, and really, the, the common things are problems with hormones and sex hormones in particular. Um, testosterone is one that people will think of first. Um, issues with the with imbalance in our gut microbiota, and by that we mean the the healthy bacteria and and yeast etc that are resident in all of our large bowels. And they perform a lot of very important functions, um, and they're really they're really sort of um, symbiotic with us as humans. Um, but when when that uh, when those bacteria become imbalanced, then it can start causing problems and causing some of these symptoms. Okay. The the other issue is is how will we able to control our blood sugar? Um, at the extreme end is when somebody actually starts becoming diagnosed as type 2 diabetic. But long, long before that, there can be issues at how well we're controlling that. Um, the next one is really how well we're regulating our circadian rhythm, our natural flux of hormones over the 24-hour day, and how the whole um, system from our brain down to down to our various uh, hormone glands is functioning as part of that whole day-night rhythm. Um, and that's obviously... Controls how um, our both our sleep quality and quantity, and then the fifth one of these um, themes is is how well we can deliver oxygen to ourselves and and that will be the one all athletes are aware of that's our sort of vo2 max anaerobic threshold. A big player there is going to be just how well we can deliver oxygen to oh, our yeah. muscle and almost all of these five um, themes are closely interrelated. Um, So problems in one will cause problems in one of the others. And any one person, um, athlete that we're looking at that has symptoms may have underlying root causes in one, two, or all of these. Um, But some may be a bigger issue than others. So it gives a nice framework to sort of stand back and get an overview and look at um, what are going to be the biggest return on investment, simplest things that one can make changes in your lifestyle. And it's not just about food, I'd add. It's it's as important as looking at what we do about sleep, what we do about stress, how we move, how we exercise, um, and minimizing our exposure to all manners of toxins in the environment. So it's really everything.
0: It's very interesting you mentioned that because my next thought was to go, let's talk about food. But with you spending so much time there focusing on, you know, sleep and circadian rhythms and the effect that has on our hormones, I'm laughing to myself because since we talked a month ago, obviously a, a big part of the change that's happened for me is changing the way that I've been eating. And and in a way, because that's quite visible, that's quite an easy change to make because every time I go to the fridge, yeah, there's different yeah. stuff in there. The big challenge for me has been my habits of basically needing more sleep, needing to get to bed earlier, needing higher quality sleep. It's been a really difficult habit for me to break. And and I'm nowhere near it still. I put my hands up. Last night, I thought, right, it's coming up to 10 o'clock. I need to go to bed now. I went to bed and then I carried on doing exactly what I would have done at the computer, (laughs) except I was in bed for two more hours. And so I've become aware of this idea of, well, some things, there's a habit here that needs changing, that the, the rhythm of it is wrong. And it's harder for me to, it's definitely harder for me to accept that I need more sleep and the habit needs to change. And that will bring on a positive effect on me because I think society conditions us all to go, you know, successful people live on less sleep. So just man up kind of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Robin. The the sleep's a great place to start actually, rather than the nutrition probably. And that's a great great example there. And, And I'm exactly the same um so we 're all different in terms of how well we can make behavioral changes and habit changes and I find it really easy to make nutritional changes. I can very easily discipline myself to to train, etc but because i 'm trying to spin so many plates like most of us are um a young family and all the rest of it, um the sleep discipline is the hardest, and it 's the one that 's still a work in progress, and there's there's lots of different. Uh, ways to try and approach these sort of habit changes but if we get the sleep wrong everything else fails um so let's look at it as an example if you sleep too little and or your quality of sleep so you could sleep enough hours but you don't have enough REM sleep and deep sleep within within that sleep um, that can disrupt your gut microbiota and actually directly change and imbalance the bugs in your gut Right. Um, it can cause blood sugar dysregulation. If you sleep five hours less than seven hours, uh, instead of seven hours for a single night, it makes your blood sugar control for the next 24 hours 25 percent worse. Wow. Um, it will if you don't sleep enough, it causes ultimately causes inflammation. And it's one of the many factors that may lower your testosterone production. So we can see that if we mess up sleep, it's affected blood sugar dysregulation, gut dysbiosis, and low sex hormones. So it's affected three out of the other five pillars.
0: Yeah, that's Um, really interesting, isn't it,
1: yeah. um, It'll cause an increase in the stress hormone cortisol. Um, That's gonna affect how you control blood sugar, but it'll also affect how you increase lean muscle mass, if it's excessive. And then of course, if you're training really hard, you only gain the adaptation to the training during the deep sleep phases of sleep. So if you've done a big training block that day, if you end up sleeping five hours instead of seven hours that night, you kind of wasted your time. You've negated half of the benefit from the big training effort. Um, and you've not really got maximum return and in investment from the, uh, from the endurance effort and the, the strength training. Wow. It's, it's so obvious, isn't it, when you get told to tell the facts in
0: front of you um yeah yeah that you you, do you think well you know when someone says you literally there is no i remember years ago a physio saying to me you know if you're going to do your strength training first thing in the morning and then do your aerobic workout you may as well have not done the strength training and i thought wow and it's the same here isn't it if you if you do all this other stuff and you cram it all in but then you don't sleep and everything else becomes wrecked because of it you really have to start questioning
1: what you're doing and why yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you think about it, a lot of these things cost nothing, Yeah. it so costs a it cost a lot of effort um, and discipline. But I think the the and the, and that's one of the biggest issues we have with all of this stuff. Um, the the general medical approach of trying to find a pharmacological treatment, a new drug, and treats it, um, and treats a symptom of a particular chronic problem. That's actually very attractive for people because it's very easy to pop a pill. Yeah. But to make behavioral changes, particularly around sleep, um, is much, much more challenging. And we know that just giving people information um, for the vast majority isn't enough, doesn't work, even though, like you said yourself, you know it's the right thing to do. But last night you still fell into that trap of doing the extra couple of hours of screen work in bed. Um, So it's actually coming up with techniques as well for creating these behavioral changes in a manageable way. You know, saying to yourself, well, I'm just going to try and change one small thing um, and do that for a week and then build in the next small element and make small little wins that are psychologically boosting and then keep adding on these small wins um, until you eventually arrive at at completely – Um, getting the complete behavioral change, um, you know, is one very good way about going about doing these things. If you say sleep, for instance, maybe the first thing you say about improving circadian regulation of hormones is to make sure as soon as you get up in the morning to try and get outside and get exposure to natural light as quickly as possible, because we know the more natural light we get before noon in the day starts to normalize our regulation and release of the key hormones around the control of that sleep-wake cycle and that's um that's our cortisol melatonin and adenosine um so that could be just the first thing one does and then you keep building keep building on top of that habits for me it even
0: feels like just tracking this kind of stuff would be a really great place to start I've got training peaks there that records the training that I do and plans out the training I'm going to do I pay no attention whatsoever to when I'm going to go to bed when I get up it's all completely random I never track it I couldn't tell you outside of you know last night what my sleep habits are but if it's so fundamental it's something I need to take care of it sounds like
1: absolutely and, and tracking can be a great way to do it Um, i and. That's that's what I've done because I perceive uh, sleep as my as equally the thing I need to work the hardest at and the hardest for me to get wrong, and basically stay up too late working on my laptop. Um, so I, I I moved to a wearable called the Aura Ring, and there's you know there's more than one product out there, but that 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 sleep tracking is something that allows me to. A, if if it's giving me, if I can see in front of me on the app bad sleep scores, the idea is that it shames me into better behavior the following night. And the other thing is that there's so many different interventions one can use to try and improve sleep quality and quantity. And um, a lot of them will work for everybody, but some are quite individualized. So if you're tracking things, you can try certain interventions and then measure it and see, did that change? Sleep quality. If it does, if it does carry on using it, obviously it made no difference. Well, burn it. Don't waste time, and then try a different intervention. Um, and that could be anything from what time you finish eating food in the day to the sort of food you've eaten to meditation. Last thing, you know, it, the, the, the list goes on.
0: Yeah. But The
1: tracking is useful, but on the other side of the coin, some people will um, could get a bad reaction to tracking. So you need to understand yourself. Um, because what you don't want, some people may just see bad sleep scores and become stressed by it right? rather than use it as a useful practical lever to make change. And it could be something that they don't make any change but see it each day and get more stressed because they get a bad sleep score. <laughs> yeah. and And then they've got a different problem. Then they've got an increase in stress, which then drives all sorts of other problems. So I suppose it's kind of understanding yourself a bit and understanding what levers work for you. Yeah, and how you, how to how to use manipulate them. It's interesting. You mentioned the o Ring.
0: I remember uh, I interviewed Paul Newsom from Swim Smooth a couple of weeks ago, and and he mentioned that after we'd had the interview as well that him and his business partner were wearing these and almost did recognize that they needed more sleep and they, they kind of gamified it by saying, right, we're going to see who can get the most REM sleep tonight, tracking it, using a, this. Yeah. And I thought, so if that's the kind of thing. And that definitely works for me, the gamification of it and the completion of ticking little boxes up at the end of a week. So maybe it's Absolutely. something that I need to look into as well. Yeah. I think the might be a few also, nodding
1: heads listening to this. It's, it's also useful obviously to, uh, could be a third party that reviews it. You know, yeah. I've looked at a, I've had a few athletes I've suggested it to, and and clients of mine, they've got them, and of course if they, you know, I I can I can access their their aura details, and then if there's somebody else looking at it, then it's accountability. Yeah, and 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 then somebody external who's then making the suggestion. So if it is an individual who's going to get stressed up by seeing a bad sleep score, another option is engaging with someone like myself or. Or, or you as a as a as a triathlon coach to look at it just the way you'd look at their training peaks it would be a really say, good yeah, addition wouldn't know. it
0: to know that about your athletes yeah
1: yeah yeah well you're not just getting the you're not just getting the sleep data you're getting the heart rate variability data and all the other metrics around um, recovery and activity because you can enter all of your training in there as well uh, um, right. Okay. I'm, I'm, well, I'm certainly not trying to sell or endorse the aura ring, um, <laughs> but, it, but it's just uh, it's just in terms of um, wearables and trackers can be can be useful. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously useful for more than one function apart from sleep. Yeah. Um, but but it is as with everything, it can just be an expensive item um, if you don't actually utilize the data. Yeah. Yeah. And just interpret it properly. No, that makes total sense. Right, well,
0: let's talk about diet next then. That, that seems to be the next place to go, doesn't it? And changes that people can make in the diet. Because in the process of the, the conversation that you and I had, one great thing you had me do was to track all of the food that I ate over three days. And again, it's one of the things I've had my athletes do at times when they're trying to make interventions, but it's not something I'd ever done myself. And so it came as a massive surprise to me when I actually tracked what I actually ate rather than what I was thinking I was eating. And I mean, even before I talked to you, the, the results were pretty astonishing to me. And it was obvious that I was eating far too much of some stuff and nowhere near enough of something else. And things were just completely out of balance.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite an eye-opener, isn't it, once mm-hmm. we actually – I suppose just like the sleep tracking until you actually see it in front of you. Um, uh, analogous to that is, uh, you know, getting videoed in the swimming pool. Yeah. Um, we've all got no idea what our stroke's doing, and we think it's doing one thing, and it's doing something completely different i like that analogy that's exactly what it's it. like yeah
0: looking at my own food over three days yeah. was, was equivalent of seeing my own swimming <sighs> for the first
1: time for sure because i thought i didn't realize my diet looked like that well i think the first thing that I, I would say about nutrition and diet in general um is that there's no one perfect diet for all humans yeah um we're all by individual in terms of the way our biochemistry works. But there are certain general things we can all agree on from a scientific basis. Um, and what we would all agree on is that we should focus on a whole foods diet. So if we don't if something didn't move or grow, don't eat it. <laughs> so uh, generally anything processed is inherently not going to be good for us. So highly refined carbohydrates um, and items that are that are that are processed and packaged. So if you've got to read the label and it's got twenty or thirty ingredient list, it's not going to do you any favours. It's going to have items in it that are that are, have a lot of industrial seed oils, high in sugars, and all of those things are inflammatory to everybody, including um, athletes. Yeah. The the other the other broad things in terms of nutrition. Is that what's good for you this year may not be exactly the perfect nutrition for you in a year's time. So it is going to, going to change over time. Um, the health of our gut microbiome is going to change the way we able to manage different foods. So that has an influence, and that's part of what I mean by being bio individual. And then the other de- the other sorts of details around eating and food is is. The the timing of when we eat and the time where we time different sorts of macronutrients makes a difference. And then it's also thinking about not just about the caloric density of foods, in other words, how many calories we're getting in, but the key is also making sure that what we eat is as nutrient-dense as possible. Yeah. And if, if we think of what most of the Western world have been eating for the last 30 years, it's incredibly cal- uh, caloric-dense. In other words, um, there's loads and loads of calories, um, but very, very poor in nutrient content um, in terms of the standard Western diet that's highly processed, lots of refined carbohydrates. So it's missing out on lots of um, vitamins and minerals, Um essential amino acids and proteins, et cetera. So I suppose that's, that's just sort of a, the broad view of things. Yeah. Of course, one of the big issues is that we have uh, contradicting messages every single week or day in the major media, websites, podcasts, are very topical at the moment in the last certainly in the last three weeks yeah doing the rounds Um, and most of these are filled with misinformation or cherry-picked research studies and and part of the big problem is when it comes to nutritional research it's not even really research it's very very weak research so um so we really, to a large extent, have to look at high-quality randomized control studies. And we have to look at how have humans thrived as, as as a species for over 2 million years. And really, most of the problems we're dealing with have surfaced in the last 30 to 40 years with the changes we've made in how we eat. But, um, but we thrived prior to that. Yeah.
0: Hey, well, listen, let's, let's, I'm happy for people to sort of hear really to be food shamed. I'm happy to be food shamed on the podcast. We'll go through what we (laughs) saw when we just looked at three days of my diet. And and for a bit of context for the people listening, I've been vegetarian for the the past four years. Um, It was vegetarian, including fish and dairy for the first three of those years. And then over the the last year, it had pretty much gone down to almost completely – um, I wouldn't say vegan diet, but almost completely animal product free. I was still having a bit of cheese because I enjoyed having a pizza once a week, but that was pretty much the only animal products I was taking in. And went through a phase of feeling fantastic for about the first two or three months when I when I first went onto the completely animal product free diet, and then basically felt worse and worse and worse over time. And then when we tracked what I was eating with you, what we saw was there was firstly a huge amount of carbohydrates was in there. I was defaulting to a huge bowl of pasta and an and oil effectively. And I think that's back, you know leading back into being a kid who was a runner in the 80s and read about the importance of a high carb diet and perhaps defaulted back to almost what I knew as a kid. But when you had me upload all of the foods through, remind me of the name of the app that we used.
1: Um, and this, this is probably a very useful app for listeners, uh, Chrono Meter. That's right. Um, so there are many of these food apps around, but this this one um, is excellent in that it doesn't just break down the macronutrients, but it breaks down the micronutrients of the food. So it gives a very nice overview of all the minerals and vitamin content of the of the yeah. eating for the day. Yeah. And that was a
0: really surprising thing for me in that I'd been using my fitness pal and trying to keep a track of, you know, fat, protein, carbohydrate and was aware I was a bit low on protein and I was a bit high on carbs, but kind of shrugged my shoulders. Using this chronometer, it was was incredibly obvious. It laid out all the levels of all the various vitamins and subvitamins in front of me. And there were huge sections where I was just getting none, like literally getting none despite eating tons of salad every day there were just entire sections that were missing for days on end
1: yeah and and i suppose we we could summarize that almost by saying when i reviewed your your diet there at that point it was a a calorie dense but nutrient poor yes eating um and and this again isn't to demonize any particular macronutrient um low carbohydrate um, to me when it comes to athletes it's a relative term yeah it's relative to amount of training and and calories we are burning um, where we are in our training cycle the time of the day etc but when we looked at your data i not I, I vaguely off the top of my head i think we you were consuming around 3 or 400 grams of carbohydrate today yeah but you'll say yourself that you you weren't doing intense training over this period of time it is really sort of um, moderate distance runs, thirty yeah. to forty minute runs, bit of swimming. So you really wouldn't be requiring that sort of carbohydrate requirement um, as opposed to somebody in at the peak end of an ironman prep where, you know, they they may be utilizing two, three hundred grams of carbs. Um, so it's all relative, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course.
0: Um, th- the next thing that struck me was when we looked at my my protein intake. Now, the protein was something that, again, I knew I should have been taking care of. I knew I should have been having more of it when I was you know, eating an entirely vegetarian diet. It it wasn't something I was ever really tracking. And again, I look back and I think I was stupid and I kicked myself for it. But I think it's a very similar story to a lot of my friends who followed a similar path from having talked to them. Um I was getting nowhere near enough protein in, and the protein that I was getting from plant proteins, it sounds like it wasn't really doing the job I needed it to.
1: Yeah, and um, that's also, just while we're on it, an important point to make, even about um, tracking uh, the food intake with chronometer. Um, When it tells you your micronutrients and macros that you're consuming, that's still not guaranteeing that you're able to absorb all of that efficiently. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of part of the equation. So you you could see a good protein intake or for certain amount of food, but it's not guaranteed that you're effectively absorbing all of that because not all proteins are, protein sources are absorbed equally well in the gut, um, and the same for various vitamin sources, etc. Um, protein in general, I think, is one of the big can be one of the biggest. Um, problems or challenges for people to take in. Um, I think often traditionally we think of mostly strength athletes needing to get in um, larger amounts of protein. But there's plenty of sports science showing that uh, endurance athletes doing um, significant endurance training volumes need all, pretty much similar protein dosaging per kilogram to what strength athletes need. And we can break down a lot of muscle mass during long endurance workouts. Um, so it's pretty key to make sure we keep up the protein intake. So I think sort of a ballpark for people that are training hard is is really sort of 1.5 to 2 grams per kilogram of protein a day. Um, so if you're talking somebody that's 70 kilograms, we we're really talking any anything from 100 to 140 grams per day. And if you start tracking that, you see very Pretty commonly, I mean, I've got your app open. Yeah, and just one of the days I looked at was 96 grams, 80 grams, and and it's quite hard actually um, to to get that amount of protein in. Yeah. um, For a lot of people, and and particularly, it's this is seen much more even more commonly in in, uh, female athletes. Find it harder generally than males to to keep up the protein intake. Um the The other thing is that there's a limit to how much protein you can absorb in a single sitting or a single meal, so when you do work out your daily requirement you probably need you need to ideally spread that out over sort of three to four intakes if you will um okay. because you don't really absorb more than say thirty to forty grams at one time um and then again timing you you'd ideally want to get in a dose of protein. Soon after you finish a really hard workout, um, and that to, to make sure that we're minimizing any catabolism and, and uh, muscle breakdown. So it's all about where you spread out the dose, the actual total dose, and, and timing again. And
0: and it's interesting as well, you've got the actual... protein quality, sorry.
1: Yeah, no, sure. I mean, we'll come back
0: to that in a second, um, because I want to talk again about the difference between you talked to me about the bioavailability of animal protein against plant protein, but the phase you've got there, those three days that we tracked, I'd restarted eating fish at this point, and I can remember really clearly having had two salmon fillets on each of those days, which are probably 20 to 25 grams each so without those salmon fillets i would have been another 50 grams of protein less even so i feel as yeah, i must have been yeah. living in a massive protein deficit for the last
1: year at the very least yeah absolutely and um when 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 one makes dietary changes you you always you're going feel you can feel the effects quite quickly in terms of macro nutrient changes like suddenly changing your carbohydrate you know anybody will feel immediately the difference as they go from high carbohydrate to low carbohydrate Yeah. but things like changes in protein um won't show themselves up for potentially many months until you're gradually losing muscle mass and power and um you know output at the top end and it'll be even much more subtle um, becoming deficient in vitamins and minerals, you could get away with that for six months, maybe up to two years, and then one starts to feel the effect. So you quite often will get this um, this initial phase where where you make a particular dietary change and feel great, and it's often because you've got rid of a lot of bad things. Uh, okay. one, you know, somebody may move to to a clean eating sort of diet got rid of a lot of packaged foods and takeaways, et cetera, feel great initially because anything's better than what they were eating before. But then after six months to a year to two years, things start going backwards again. And that's that sort of that, that build-up effect of becoming short on all those those uh, micronutrients. And what what's the difference between... The absorbability, if
0: that's in fact a word, of of animal protein against um, plant-based
1: proteins. Well, one one of the well the the absorption of almost all vitamins and and um, and micronutrients is more easily, more easier, more efficient for our gut um, than plant than plant-derived substances. Because essentially, the, the ruminant animal has eaten the plant already, and their, their, their system has broken it down, absorbed it, and activated it into a form that animal cells can actually utilize. Because various vitamins come in different forms. They often come in a, in, in a pro form that can't actually be used by the cell. And then various enzymes will activate that vitamin into a format that can then actually be used in the chemical reactions in our in the cells of our body to do the job they need to do. Um, so the animals kind of done that for us already. So when 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 we eat it, uh, when when we eat those sort of foods, um, we can absorb it quite readily, and it's already in the format that can be utilised. Um, plants need to be broken down by gut first and then absorbed, and then activated. So there's several things there. Not everybody um, everybody's gut, gut is as effective at, at both digestion and absorption of all of these, these sorts of foods. Um, not everybody has the same efficiency of their enzymes and being able to activate all of these, these different vitamins and substances. Um, and then when a... So so that's in terms of the the vitamins and the minerals. Yeah. When it comes to things like proteins, not all different sources of protein have the same makeup of amino acids. Because, of course, a a protein ultimately in your body needs to be broken down in, in in your gut into smaller chunks that you can absorb it and then ultimately broken down into the smallest units, which are these little amino acids. And... Each amino acid, the amino acids, are when they actually get inside your body, are what are going to are going to work inside the cells, either to make hormones, to build muscle, to make neurotransmitters, to to um, supply our DNA inside our cells. So, incredibly key functions, um, and you you really need a broad spread of all those important amino acids. So, we take one as an example. The amino acid that's quite key for building muscle mass and what we call muscle protein synthesis is leucine. And the amount of leucine in prawn protein is incredibly low. Um, I don't have the data open in front of me to give you an exact number, but I can always supply this for. If you, if you want to include anything in show notes. But it's, it's sort of only a small proportion of what you would get in the equivalent amount of animal protein, I see. In, say, for example, pea protein. Now, this is not to say that you couldn't get the amount of protein you need on a, on a plant-based diet, but you would have to do it very carefully. You'd have to know what you're doing and realize that you need to consume a vastly higher quantity of protein plant protein to get the same amount of amino acid as you would off eating a small amount of animal protein, Um, or or you would need to supplement that by taking essential amino acids as a supplement Um, or or various other protein powders. Uh, And also realizing that if you're consuming a much higher volume of plant protein source, you're going to then automatically have to be consuming a much higher amount of carbohydrate that comes along with it. So you could be overdoing, completely overdoing one macronutrient carbohydrate in order to satisfy the correct amount of the other macronutrient protein. I see, yeah. So the devil's always in the detail.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Can you talk to us a little bit about vitamin B12 and the importance of that in the diet and, and how hard that is? Or impossible how that that is to get from a purely plant based diet.
1: Yeah, so um, so vitamin B twelve is really quite quite a key vitamin. plays plays a large number of important roles. Um, it's key for nerve function um, in terms of how nerves conduct conduct electricity and their nerve health. Um, it 's also very key in energy production it 's one of the key factors in the little energy factories in every cell in the body are mitochondria and i 'm sure you're, you know the athletes have, um, mostly will have heard of this term of mitochondrial health yeah um, and that 's part of what we 're doing obviously with our training is to try and increase the amount of mitochondria in our in our muscle cells etc um, so b twelve is quite, quite, quite key in how the mitochondria produce energy. So that's just just two of their of their many many roles in the body. Um, one the, the V12 deficiency itself is is actually um, small levels of deficiency are very common, and they become more and more common as we age. Um, certainly, once we get over fifty, uh, our gut is far less efficient at being able to absorb B12. And part of that's to do with um, increasing autoimmune issues relating to the cells involved in the B12 absorption. But one of the other issues is that B12 can only really be um, derived from animal products. Um, So unless you're getting good sources of B12 intake, you really do need to supplement B12 to to ensure that you – you're not running into B12 deficiency. Um, and, and B12 deficiency can be quite insidious. And if it becomes more advanced, the, the big risk is the potential for permanent um, nerve damage, which can't be reversed. So if, if one is having a diet that's potentially low in B12, that would be somebody who, who it would be important to check B12 level at least annually, um, and then act on that if it's starting to show signs of of, uh, tending towards deficiency. Um, And and the other thing I would say is even if one is taking in animal products, um, there's a limit to how much you can absorb in one go, a little bit like protein we spoke about earlier. Um, So you need to spread those B12-containing foods over the course of your day to, to keep up on top of B12 status.
0: And is it, you mentioned it was important last time that if you are taking a B12 supplement, that it was one of the, the droppers that goes under the tongue rather than tablet form.
1: Yeah. B, B, B12 that you swallow um, and goes through the gut has got a very, a very poor bioavailability. So bioavailability just means how much of what you take in, um, actually ends up in in, um, in your circulation, in your cells. Um, and certain foods, certain drugs, um, certain things we take in, um, for one reason or another, get, get either don't get absorbed very well or they get absorbed but they get broken down in the liver before they can actually get to where they need to be. So you don't actually end up with very much at all. Um, so if you are taking a supplement, it's better to get a, uh, a good quality um, sublinguals well it either should be a, a sublingual in other words a spray under the tongue um, when it gets absorbed under the tongue it's essentially going straight into your your blood circulation okay. and it's bypassing your gut um, and if somebody has more severe deficiency that they're seen by their their uh, their GP or the, their own doctor they might need to actually get b12 injections and again that's bypassing the gut it's just a direct Um, absorption into your circulation but the but oral tablets um, are generally going to be a waste of time there will be a very poor absorption
0: interesting okay and then what about vitamin d that was the other that was the other big deficiency that we saw in my blood test was the vitamin d levels are really low and obviously we know that's associated with sunlight so no surprise there that we don't have a huge amount of that living in the uk winter um Tell us a little bit about the vitamin D and the
1: importance of that, please. Well, the, uh, firstly, again, various um, sources of vitamin D are, are animal products, eggs, dairy are going to have our highest concentrations of vitamin D. Um, but then again, even, even with good intake of vitamin D, unless we activate the vitamin D, um, uh, it's not going to to be able to do what we need it to do. And activation is is essentially sunlight exposure. Um, and really even 15 minutes of sunlight exposure can give us the equivalent of sort of around 2,000 units of vitamin D. So it's, it's, uh, it's very effective. Um, and coming back around to the whole sunlight thing, um, it just shows us again the, the huge power of a simple intervention. If we can get outside and get exposed to natural light in the first part of the day in the morning, we're busy resetting circadian rhythm, to improve sleep quality, we activating vitamin D. It also increases something called nitric oxide, which is another key little chemical circulating around our body that helps to keep blood pressure down, um, but also helps with energy production and and uh, reduce cardiovascular disease. So we do one thing, and we've achieved several important outcomes. Um, and there, But nevertheless, in, the, in our winter over year, um, unfortunately, I think uh, a lot of athletes would still need to consider supplementing vitamin D on top of doing all the right things naturally, depending, of course, measuring it and seeing what the vitamin D level is. Um, actual vitamin D levels to target, it's quite controversial. And there's a huge number of um, recommended vitamin D ranges from all sorts of different medical societies Um, But there is some sports science um, evidence to indicate higher levels being useful in athletes um, and has been shown to reduce the incidence of infections over the winter in um, high-volume endurance athletes who target a level of between 100 and 125 nanomoles per liter. Whereas you'd normally see on a standard blood test that's done um, indicating at levels around uh, fifty as being adequate, fifty to sixty as being adequate, whereas we may see benefit targeting higher levels, closer to a hundred, um, in in uh, in individuals performing, and, and certainly also in individuals with certain sorts of chronic health problems. Okay, so
0: would there be would there be any dangers for people taking either B twelve or vitamin D supplements in terms of can you obviously the possibility of
1: drowning under it but can you take too much and is it dangerous so vitamin b12 has has no danger in taking too much of it um in in fact it's one of the only vitamins that it's been well established that there is actually there is no uh, toxic upper limit right okay um for the vitamin um by that, I'm not going, saying go out and try to overdose yourself in vitamin B12. <laughs> no, sure. Um, and if you supplement it with sublingual vitamin B12, you may actually find that when you do a blood test um, and they look at your serum B12 levels, they may come back as really high, um, sometimes 1,000, and that that may worry um, your your own doctor if they see that. That doesn't actually uh, that that has no evidence whatsoever that relates to any risk at all, and that's actually just measuring the amount of B twelve in your blood, but not the amount of B twelve inside the cells. Um, whereas the the blood test that I think uh, that you've seen through Thriver, where they do active B twelve, that's actually a slightly different test, and that that's looking at it, the the B twelve that's actually being utilized by the cells um, so that's b12 Vit- vitamin d we can overdose and just like most things too much or too little is a bad thing so if one is supplementing vitamin d it really needs to be um, under the direction of somebody who knows what they're doing in terms of um, the correct supplement dose to take on in, in addition to your um, food and I would periodize it. We obviously need more in the winter than what we need in the summer. Um, it's going to change depending on what vitamin D you get in through through food sources. So if one is starting a vitamin D supplement, it would be wise to recheck your levels within a you know two or three months to yeah. check. And the other thing that's important with vitamin D is that one takes a product that combines vitamin D with vitamin K2. Um, because vitamin K2 is another very important vitamin and one of its many roles. It's involved with how will our blood clots, but it's also involved with um, how we where, where the, um, the calcium at vitamin D is involved with controlling. It controls where that calcium ends up. So if we just take vitamin D alone and we push our vitamin D levels up, there is a risk that we end up creating calcification in our blood vessels, which would obviously be a bad thing, as opposed to where we want it, and that's inside our bones, to increase bone health and the other things we're doing. So the vitamin K2 in conjunction with the vitamin D uh, um, ensures that the vitamin D um, effects end up in the right place.
0: Well, One of the really interesting things that's come from chatting with you is Initially, for me, the big worry having had the blood test done was it looked like I had low testosterone levels. Immediately, my brain jumped and said, Well, that's the problem. That's why you feel exhausted. You've got low testosterone. You know you're an aging man. Testosterone production drops off. I've read all manner of books where professional cyclists have doped themselves with testosterone and that's had an improving effect on them. And so the temptation was to think, Well, if I had extra testosterone, all these horrible fatigue syndromes would go away. Maybe that's the answer. But it's been obvious in talking to you that it's a much more holistic overview that we need to look at everything from diet and sleep. And that's really a very simple thing to take care of rather than going to the fix of, you know, get yourself seen at the clinic and get testosterone prescribed.
1: Absolutely. And uh, th- this is now, this is another great analogy to um what we spoke about in the beginning those five performance killers because every one of those could be a reason for a drop in testosterone but the i think the first place we've got to start um and 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 obviously before i get into that the the um the urge people will have is to be is to do the quick fix you know, go ask somebody to prescribe a testosterone replacement therapy, which, uh, firstly, if you're a high-level high athlete who, who's going to be drug tested, it's non-starter because it's uh, yeah, exactly. it's banned underwater, so you, so that's out. Um, but, but that would be the quick, quick fix, isn't it? And that would be the downstream approach. That would be just trying to treat the symptom and throw in more testosterone. And, of course, once you start taking it, that's you for life because you're going to down-regulate your own receptors, and you'll never be able to come off it again. Um, but the correct approach would be the much harder to do behavioral changes of the upstream approach of looking for the root causes. And the first thing is, is your problem actually, is one's problem and symptoms actually testosterone or low testosterone? Because we what we do know is um, there are people who – who can have what we would consider to be test, total testosterone levels below the so called reference ranges, but actually be performing at an incredibly high level. So it's not just about testosterone. Um, and there there has been a study looking at Kona Pro triathletes where they tested them for total testosterone after Kona, and half of them had testosterone levels that were less than 10. Which really? Would be uh, lower than a 25 year old male's. And these guys, you know, this is a top end. Um, so it's not just about that testosterone. So it is about taking a careful history and seeing whether the symptoms add up to really being symptoms of low testosterone or are the symptoms they're experiencing other causes for, for fatigue. You know, is it the right? Are they getting their, their nutrition right, their calories, their sleep, and all the other bits? Um, but if we, if we do decide that it is related to low testosterone and it's low relative for them and what they're doing, um, there's a whole host of things that could cause that. And there's a huge pathway involved in how we make testosterone. We've got to release a series of hormones in our brain that then speak to our – and if it's a male, speak to our testes. It's a female, and testosterone is important in our females as well. Um, speak to um, the adrenal gland in females to make testosterone, at every step on that process, there are things that can either make that, um, that step work better or things that could be blocking it. And, and the very common issues in athletes and triathletes is going to be inadequate sleep, overtraining, and relatively too little calories when people are in very high phases of training and high-volume training. And the extreme end is what's now quite well-recognized as something called RED-S, Relative Energy Deficiency Syndrome. And a lot of people might have seen the press recently with a high-level runner in the U.S. who's come out against Bertha Salazar coaching in terms of she's ended up at RED-S with amenorrhea and um, serious drops in bone mineral density and multiple stress fractures, etc. Yeah. Yeah. And and part of that whole triad is that you end up with bone mineral. It's basically drops in, in males it's drops in testosterone and females drops in estrogen and testosterone and constant to that. They end up with a drop in bone density. Um, you know, you get these 25 year old high level athletes with the bones of a 70 of a year old Um. And then fatigue and all the other problems that go with that. So, you know, the big hitters is this first check that somebody's not totally under consuming calories, um, not totally over training, and not or too much intensity in training, and need to for a while back off and just move to more um, uh, aerobic based training and and, uh, and and a much lower proportion of intensity for a period of time. Um, if it's become a real issue. And then the sleep quality. You know, if, if sleep's poor, that's going to increase cortisol. And if we have high levels of cortisol, the stress hormone, um, our pathway for making testosterone um, has multiple branches in it. And there's one one of the sort of, if you think of it as sort of fork in the road in this pathway, can either go down the pathway that, uh, that leads to testosterone or it can take a different pathway and end up at cortisol. And, we, and uh, so we could end up stealing testosterone to make cortisol. So um, linking in with that, high levels of stress are going to do exactly the same thing. So really those upstream things are the first things to look at is somebody getting enough yeah, calories. Yeah. Do they have high levels of stress and can reduce stress either by getting rid of things that are causing stress? And stress is everything. Um, it's work stress, it's uh, spinning too many plates, it's are we carrying chronic infections, or are we getting exposed to lots of toxins and pollutants, uh, too little sleep is a stress, etc. So we can remove things causing it or we or we can include interventions to improve it, like mindfulness, like breathing techniques and so on. So we've got all of that and then we can do, then it's possibly looking at bloods, so you know, we can look at other... We've looked just at total testosterone, but if I'm looking at this holistically, I might look at other measurements, things called luteinizing hormone and follicular stimulating hormone, forgetting about the big words, but essentially they, they, the substances released from the brain to stimulate the testes to make testosterone. So we really need to know, is the problem higher up? Is the problem in the brain? Or is the problem lower down? Is it where we're making the testosterone? Or is it the cells that are getting testosterone but the recept- their receptors aren't um, – there aren't enough of them not working properly to do it? Got so you. you can see it becomes – it's a complex system and it needs teasing out. Uh, um, and it'll often be more than one of these factors that need addressing. And it all comes back to, like you said earlier
0: on, it's, it's the basics of calories, training intensity, sleep quality, and reducing stress. All of the things you need to fix in order to fix the end result that you see, which is low testosterone rather than thinking. Yeah. And and that's kind of where I've ended up with this. I've had levels of things tested and thought I need to fix the levels of things. When in reality, it's all those things in me that are out of whack. It's, it's the high levels of stress, the too many plates spinning, the not getting enough sleep, yeah. the, you know, trying to layer a training on top of that when everything else is going on. And ultimately, that's, you know, the blood tests and the levels of vitamins and things have shown up the end results of the problem, but not what the problem itself was. So that's been a big learning.
1: That's right. And, and you know, the, the basics are going to take care of 80% of people's, 80% of their issues. <clears throat> and then some of them might need to see somebody like myself to take a much more detailed look under the hood or under the bonnet um, to look for the more subtle things to to correct that last sort of ten percent of performance. But really, un- unless we do these basics right, none of the the fanciest stuff is going to work anywhere.
0: Well, that's finished by telling people about your private practice and where they can find out more about you if they're interested in, in having a consultation with you and finding out what's going on with them because you run it's bestu-functionalhealthclinic.co.uk is your website isn't it
1: yeah that's right rob thanks for that um yeah i i, I essentially um, everything we've talked about today uh, i'd I I'd, I'd take I I'd, happy to see anybody either with chronic health problems um or or athletes who perceive their performance as dropping off. they they might be putting it down to middle age wear and tear, but possibly these are things as we've discussed today that can be improved and and uh, and rooted out. Um, and then, then it might be somebody who an athlete who feels completely healthy, but they really are high, um, high level and looking for anything they can do to eke out that last one or two percent. Um, and looking at some of the detail and some of what what sports science has uncovered, as some of additional tweaks that one can do. And then, and then really looking looking at what what we can do to maintain high level performance, but stay metabolically and internally as healthy as possible. Um, and I, I think it's quite possible to achieve both at the same time maintain health and performance and try and do it together.
0: Well, that's a great place to leave it. I think man, to maintain health and performance and keep them both together. I think that's, that's what we're all striving for at the end of the day. Anton, thank you so much for your time coming on. It's been fascinating to hear um, all the medical details, but also how you put together the whole thing holistically it's answered tons of questions for me and i think lots of people listening will have learned loads from it as well
1: brilliant thanks thanks for inviting me on rob thank you very much for your time
0: all right guys i hope you found that interesting um i listened back to it and i was amazed by the amount of stuff that i'd missed the first time through and i'd even taken some notes on it the first time i went through so i think the big takeaways for me are it's those five pillars the five performance killers so make sure we're taking care of our hormone levels, our gut microbiome, blood sugar control by eating the right things and cutting down on the amount of simple sugars, get our circadian rhythms sorted out by making sure we get the right amount of sleep and the delivery of oxygen will take care of itself. So tons and tons of information there for you. And remember, you can get yourself a Thriver blood test with 50% off using the code oxygenadict 50 All right, a little bit of news before we wrap up today's show. Just one thing from me this week. The voting is open for two twenties awards, you know, the two twenty magazine. And if you are gonna vote, I'd really appreciate it if you saw your way clear to voting for me in the Coach of the Year um award that they have. I we got really close last year. I got second place and I'm desperate to win the coach of the year. I grew up reading 220 magazine and I'd absolutely love to to get that award and um, kind of have it as part of the auctioned community and show that sometimes the little guys can wheedle through and help a lot of people out and do it through non-traditional means. So yeah, if you are going to vote, I'd really appreciate a vote for me if you think that the advice you've had from the show over the years has helped you out. All right, guys, just before we wrap this up then, another shout out to our other sponsor, precisionhydration.com. You need to be taking care of your electrolytes. You'll be training indoors on the treadmill or indoors on the watt bike or the Turbo Trainer. Keep your electrolyte levels topped up using their specialized electrolytes with different amounts of sodium in each packet. So if you've not tried it before, use the code Oxygenatic to get £9.99 worth of free products. And if you have used it before, make sure you keep using it all the way through the winter for your indoor training place. You are going to sweat more and you've got to keep those electrolyte levels correct if you want to sort of avoid cramp and keep your training as optimum as it can be. All right then. So thanks again to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, Thriver.co. Use the code Oxygenatic 50 for 50% off your first test. And if you're looking for triathlon coaching for this year with the new season just beginning, get in touch with us over at TeamOxygenatic.com. We've got um, a simple contact us form on the website that you can hit us up on there, or we've got the sort of the live questioning chat box will come up that you can answer any questions you've got got three different packages available um so we've got something to suit every need and every budget hopefully if you don't see something that you want there just drop us a line and we'll do our best to help you out as best as we can so remember there's links in the show notes for all of the sponsors so you don't have to remember them And, yeah, guys, I hope that 2020 is an absolutely cracking year for you all. Until next week, have a great, safe training and racing week. I'm Coach Rob Wilby, and you've been listening to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. Until next week, see ya.